Today's an awesome day. Today, we celebrate the 10-year anniversary of Cornerstone Church. It's incredible. It's just so weird to think that we've been around for 10 years now. And, um, I, and to be honest with you, it's actually, it's actually next week that's the exact 10-year mark. But I was going to be gone next week, so we thought we'd celebrate it now. And... Uh, yeah, I have a conference I have to speak at, and, and I almost canceled it, but uh, the conference is in Hawaii. And uh, <laughs> I just thought, ah, you know, I, I always said I'd go anywhere for the gospel, and uh, I want to <laughs> prove that. But, um, no, you, you think, I, I, how many of you, I, I, is there anyone in this room that was here on that first Sunday at Sinaloa Junior High School? Wow. There's a few of us. That's cool. There's like 10 of us. Man, hey, it's good to see you again. It's been a while. Right on. So you were there with Otter. Remember Otter, <laughs> worship guy? And uh, yeah, Otter, Otter, Otter. We had our worship guy. His name was Otter. And he's a cool guy. You know, I didn't know him real well, but I, I asked him because I couldn't find anyone. And uh, and I said, hey, can you bring a band with you? And, and so I didn't, hadn't even met these guys. You know, they show up on Sunday morning, our first Sunday there at the church. And he brings this guy named Fabian. Fabian. Fabian and Otter. You know, Fabian, he was the drummer. And he had this chain that went from his nose to his ear. This was like 10 years ago. You know, it's like, wow, that's really cool. You know, and uh, we just had our worship service. And it was just, it was so fun. But it was so weird. We didn't know what we were doing, you know, and there was, there were maybe a hundred people that showed up that first week, and, you know, so we were totally excited. Then the second week, there were fewer, um, <laughs> but that's all right, you know, and then just started growing, and here we are 10 years later with all these services and all these people, and uh, how many people, after that, we went to Chuck E. Cheese over by there. How many people joined us when we went to, over by Chuck E. Cheese? All right, a few of you. That's cool. Another dozen or so. And then, um, and then we started meeting in right across in the multi-purpose room here. How many people started when we had services in there? Oh, wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. And so then how many just started coming the last three years since we've been in this building? Wow. That's really cool. You, you just think about all the changes that have taken place over 10 years. And, and who would have thought? Um, and as I was thinking about, you know, what do I really want to talk about this week? I went back to my notes from my very first sermon 10 years ago there at that cafeteria at Sinaloa Junior High, and I preached out of the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 1, and, and you think, man, that's kind of a weird book. I mean, I, I'm willing to bet that most of you have, have not, haven't even read Malachi. It's kind of this obscure minor prophet. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And why I say a lot of you probably haven't read it is because even when you go, okay, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year, by the time you get to Isaiah and, you know, some of the prophets, you don't always get to, you know, all the way to the end, to the book of Malachi, at the end of the Old Testament. But you guys, it is such a great book. I mean, even to this day, it remains, if not my favorite, one of my favorite books in the Bible, because it's so clear, so cut and dry, and such a powerful, powerful message. Because the message is about these people whose worship had become dull, it had become routine, it got kind of half-hearted, you know, and God was so bothered by that, to say the least. 
And that's so applicable to our day and age where people just kind of attend church and become a casual thing. And I thought, man, now 10 years into it, it'd be so easy for us to come and walk in and go, okay, another church service, another sermon, another worship time, this or that. And you guys, we can't do that. Because, you know, from the very start, what we, we said is the goal of Cornerstone and the goal of our Sunday morning services is not that you would leave this room and go, wow, that was really good. That, that has never been our concern. That's not our concern today. Our goal is that when this service is through, God looks down and goes, wow, that was really good. That he looked at the way that you worshipped him, the way you listened to his word, the way that I taught his word, you know, to the way that we gave to him. And he says, wow, these people really do love me. They really are committed. That this would be a God-centered service, not man-centered. It's not to please you. You know, it's not so you leave here all happy and say, wow, that was really good. It's really all about God. We want him to be pleased. And once we turn from that, you know, there's so many, so many organizations that start, you know, with this direction and this focus, and somehow they get skewed. And I thought, well, you know, it's so good then for us this, this Sunday, you know, 10 years later to go back to that very first passage and say, are we going in the wrong direction now? Are we keeping that same focus of it's all about God? In Malachi chapter 1, God is addressing these people, these Israelites, who just got so casual about their worship. And he says to them in chapter 1, verse 6, it's the first verse I preached out of. Malachi 1, 6, it says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I'm a father, where's the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. God says to the people, he goes, hey, a son honors his father, right? And, and that may not be so true in our day and age, unfortunately. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of that, that generation where, you know, the parents are no longer acting like parents, you know, and kind of letting the, the kids do whatever they feel like doing. But, but you got to understand, that's not the way it's been for all time. And that's not the way it is in most cultures. In most cultures, a child honors and respects their parent. They really take, you know, to heart God's command, honor your father and mother. And especially, you got to understand, the Old Testament, you know what they did when you had a rebellious son? But did you know what they did to rebellious children? It says it's Old Testament law. You're to take that kid outside the city gates and stone him to death. So there weren't a lot of rebellious kids. <laughs> there might have been a couple really fast ones. But, you know, for the most part... This was something that God says, this is the way you created it. Kids aren't, aren't to grow up and just do whatever they're, they're supposed to do. There's a reason God gave them authority. And he says, you know, in, 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 a, in a home, a son honors his father. And then he says, and not only that, but um, he says that a servant honors his master. I mean, you guys know about that. If, if, if there's a servant and there's the master, the servant honors. He respects the master. Whatever the master asks him to do, he does it. That's what a servant does. So he lays that out. A son honors his father, a servant honors his master. And so God says, so if I'm your father, if you guys are calling me father, how come you're not honoring me like a father? And he goes, and if you're calling me lord or master, how come you're not treating me like a lord or master? See, these people had all the right words. When they prayed, probably like a lot of the way you pray. When you pray, you probably address God as either father or lord, right? And even throughout your prayer, you'll say, Lord, Lord, Lord. And God says, that's fine. That's good that you call me that. But if you're going to call me that, 
why don't you respect me like that? I mean, when you, when you say Lord during prayer, do you understand what you're calling God? You're calling him master. Just like a servant would look at his, his Lord and say, okay, Lord, okay, master, what do you have me to do? That's what you are saying. Now, now think about that and think about the way that so many people pray. Master, master, go, go do this for me. Go do that for me. Hey, master, I asked you last week to do this for me and you still haven't done it. Let's think about our prayers for a while. Do we respect him like a master or do we treat him like a slave? See, and, and, and the incredible thing is we've got this awesome God who is the master, who is the Lord that says, I actually do want to know your needs. I actually do want to care for you. But you guys, let's be careful that we really respect him and treat him like Lord and not just call him that. Because there are many places that go, oh, Lord, Lord, you know, and, and, and say that and call him that. But their lives don't show it. They're not really his servants. They're not really his children. And God says, your words are meaningless. I, I want to see in your actions. If you're going to call me father today, treat me like father. That's all he's saying. If, if you're going to call him Lord, then treat him like Lord. Same thing Jesus said in Luke 6, 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Because that's kind of silly for you to call me master, and then I command you something, and you don't do it. Just stop calling me Lord. He goes on and, and it says, uh, it is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name at the end of verse 6. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? And now implore God to be gracious to us? With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? See, God is saying, you guys are so insulting. He says, you guys insult me. You defile me. You despise my name. And, and the, the priests are going, what do you, what do you mean, God? We, we, don't, we don't despise you. We don't defile your altar. I mean, we worship you. We come, and you got to understand, these priests were, were religious. These people came, and they came, and they worshiped God every, every time they were supposed to. They would bring the animals. They would bring the sacrifice, and they were there religiously to serve, to worship God. The problem is, is that God says, yeah, but look at what you're bringing to me. He says, when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, he goes, isn't that wrong? NASB says, isn't that evil? That's actually the word. You see, you know the Old Testament where, where they would bring an animal to be sacrificed to the Lord, and that was their offering. And, uh, and you were supposed to look in your flock and bring the unblemished animal. You're supposed to bring the best to God. Okay, the unblemished, perfect animal. That's what you're supposed to bring to God. What these guys were doing, God says, is that they would have these nice animals in their flock, but instead they go, wait, that one keeps running into the tree. Get him. <laughs> and it says they literally brought blind animals for sacrifice. And he goes, and God's going, and you think I'm pleased with that? He goes, that's evil. That's evil to bring me a blind animal for sacrifice. And then he goes on, and, and it says that, he goes, when you bring crippled or diseased animals. 
So not only were they blind, but they were crippled and diseased. Can you picture that in your mind, these priests with these flocks of beautiful sheep and, and it comes time for sacrifice and they go, let's take that one. He's blind. He's only got three legs, you know? And this thing comes hobbling up to the altar and they do the sacrifice and think, oh, God in heaven so pleased. And God's saying, that is so evil. That is so wrong. I mean, isn't that a pretty disgusting picture? Let me ask you, how different are we? Really, how different are we here, here in Southern California when God wants the best of what we have? And, and when so many people have so many wonderful things and we're the richest people on earth, and what do we, what do we throw to God? What do we give him of our time, of our energy, of our money? You know, are we really that different? And do we think that God's pleased with just anything? God says, I don't accept your leftovers. He is telling those people that you guys came, you worshiped, you thought that I was pleased with that. He goes, I'm not. I think it's evil. He goes, try offering it to your governor. He says, try giving that sheep to your governor. See if he'll take it. Okay, how many of you are like me and you have not done your taxes yet? Okay, that's a lot of us. Good, feel better. Now, <laughs> Those of you guys that haven't done it, you guys that already did it too late, but for those of you guys who haven't done it yet, you guys, let's, let's, let's all try something. You know, instead of giving the government what we owe them, let's just write a note and say, you know, I got some old, you know, clothes and an old sofa and uh, a little bit of money, you know, will you take this instead? <laughs> let's just try it. Now, most of you are going, I'm not going to try that. <laughs> They're not going to take it. God says, look, the government won't even take it, and you're going to give it to God? He says, who do you think I am? The things you won't even do for your own government, to your own governor. You give to me, the creator of your government, the creator of this world? He goes, are you kidding me? And you think that I'm in heaven rejoicing? Because I look at it as evil. I look at it as wrong. And these priests, you know, God's just, just letting them have it because they weren't giving God their best. And you guys, I, I just say we, we're really not that different. You know, I, I brought a, you know, this is what a lot of us do. I brought a piece of chicken. And um, this is what a lot of us do. Well, well, if this represents our time, we'll come before the Lord and we'll say, okay, Lord, you know what? My whole life is yours. Here's, here's, here's all the time, everything I've got, because I recognize that, that I, I belong to you, and I wouldn't even be alive today without you. So here is my life, here is my day, but first, I'm going to go to work. So we all got to work, right? I work, and I'm done with work, thinking, well, I'm going to go home and say hi to kids, hang out with the kids for a while, <laughs> hang out with my wife, watch some television, and go for a jog. Work out a little bit. And, you know, eat some more. And then, one second. Okay. And then, what we've got is, we're at the very end of the day. We're dead tired. We're laying in bed. And we just go, oh, I didn't even really spend time with God. Hey, God, thanks for the day. Uh, and we kind of toss God a bone. There you go. <laughs> and we give him what's left over. 
after we spent all our time on ourselves, doing all the things we want to do, we go, if there's any time left over, then I'll give it to God. And here's the crazy part, is we actually think that God in heaven goes, oh, cool. <laughs> there's still some bone. There's still some meat. Mm. That he's excited that we tossed him something. Wow, at least he gave, hey, thanks, he gave me something. And then God's fetching after our scraps, all fired up. Hey, look what I got, angels. And, uh, <laughs> and you guys, the thing is, is we do this in so many different areas of our lives. We do this with our money. I want to buy the house I want first, car I want first, you know, and take my kids to the school. I want them to go to the clothes we want, all the stuff we want, go to the places we want. If I got a few bucks left over, I'll toss it to God. There you go. There you go. There's a little bit left over on there, God and we'll toss them a bone. And we think God, the craziest part about it is we think God's cool with that. To throw a couple bucks in, because at least I gave something. See, that's the same thing these priests thought. They thought, well, at least we gave something. Yeah, it's not the best animal. Yeah, three legs out of four, it's not bad. We gave him something. And God says, what an insult. Who do you think I am? You give your governor better than you give to me. I'm a great God. He doesn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve our leftovers. And the thing that, um, that's intense is uh, when you look at verse 10, look at what he says in verse 10. He says, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. What does he say right there in verse 10? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates. That's a powerful verse. There they were in the temple doing their sacrifices. And God says, I wish someone would just shut the gates to the temple. I wish they would just close that thing down. You think, but why? People showed up and they were saying, he goes, trust me, I just want it shut down because that's so insulting to God. See, God would rather you not worship him at all than to insult him with tossing him your leftovers. God doesn't want our leftovers. He says, why don't you shut the doors to that place? Why don't you close the gates? I'm not pleased. He, you know, he, he looked at those people. I mean, that was in Jerusalem. That's the temple. That's the, you know, that's the Holy of Holies. That's where he placed his name. And he says, you know what? I wish they would just close the doors to that place. I, I don't want to see that. Just don't worship me at all. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God says, look, I, I want the best. I deserve the best. And so if you're going to throw me your scraps, I don't want them. That's the God we worship. What scares me about that verse is I, I look at that and God says, man, I wish someone would shut the doors because I'm just tired of looking at their sacrifices. I'm not accepting it anyways. They're, they're lighting this useless fire. It does no good. So why don't you shut the doors? The thing that fear, scares me about that is I think, right now, this very moment, there are hundreds, thousands of churches where people come and gather here in America. And God is looking down now at America, watching the worship that's going on. And I wonder how many churches he would say that same thing to right now. Seriously. That he would look down on, on this earth and go, shh, you call that worship? I wish someone would just shut that, that place down. That's insulting. 
That is so insulting they would come here and think that I'd be pleased with that. You know, was it just back then, and was it just the temple that got so bad, or would he look down at here, you know, at some of the churches? I really believe he would look at some of the churches across this country and say, I wish they would just shut their doors. What an embarrassment. What a mockery of worship. I'm not pleased with that. And yet they're down there thinking that I'm happy that they showed up and just at least gave me something. God says, that's not me. You guys, the one thing I, I pray that we never become is one of those churches that God would look down and say, look at Cornerstone. They got a ton of people that showed up, but I wish they never started. I wish that church never existed. Those people aren't here to worship me. They're not giving me their best. You guys, I don't ever want to be that. And I know you don't either. I mean, I want to be one of those churches where God looks down and, and tells the other people, you know what, just close your doors because this is real worship. Go look in Simi Valley. Go check out Cornerstone. Those people are giving me their best, not their leftovers. You know why God says this? Verse 11. My name will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. God says from heaven, listen, I'm a great God. I don't care what you think of me or what you think you, I deserve. He goes, but I am a great God, whether you think so or not. And, and whether you worship me or not, there will be people on this earth, all around the earth, that will give me the praise that is due my name. He says, you don't want to worship me with excellence, there's other people who will. That's something I learned early in my walk with the Lord, is that I can be replaced in a second. God can replace me. He created me. He spoke me into existence, and he can speak someone else into existence. I can be replaced. And he says to these people, it's not like he's up in heaven going, come on, come on, just, just, just go to church. You know, bring a friend. Get as many people as you can. He's just saying, you know what? If you're not going to give me the best, I don't need you to. I'm a great God. That's what he says right there. I am a great God, and my name will be great. And in every nation, there's going to be sacrifices made to me, sacrifices that are pure, real ones. So if you don't want to worship me, don't bother. Just go. You're tired? Go. You know what? Because I, I, I want the best. I deserve the best. I'm a great, great God. See, I don't know who you came in to worship today. Well, what do you picture? What do you think's going on in heaven right now? Who's up there watching our worship? Yeah, are you picturing some little old man on a rocker going, ah, oh, thanks for coming? You know, you know, and you know, all excited anytime anything happens? Or do you really see that up in heaven there's this awesome, holy God? who dwells in unapproachable light, this amazing being, who up there says, look, I'm great. I spoke this world into existence. How are you going to worship me? What, are you, what did you come to give me? See, that's the God I came to worship, one who deserves my best. I would not be alive right now without him. I know that full well. And so every breath I got, as long as I can speak, I'll speak up for him and stand up for him. And say, you know, this is not a place where we're going to casually worship God and throw leftovers at him. If that's the case, let's just close it up. Let's just close it up. And then those who are serious, let's just come over to my house and let's just give them everything we got. See, that was the whole point in starting the church. Was that could this be a place where people really came and thought about who God was and gave him their best? 
And, and I, I fear that we, we stray from that sometimes, and I don't ever want to. That's why this passage was so good for me, just to review and think it through again. He says, there's people everywhere that will worship me, give me excellence. A few years before I preached this, this for the first time, I was, in, I was in Hong Kong, and I went to this service, you know, just wanted to see what church service was like out there. You know, I was visiting grandma, and, you know, I was with my brother and, and little sister, and, um, and we go to this church, you know, this Chinese, like, Baptist church or something in Hong Kong, and, uh, and we go early, because, you know, I wanted to just kind of check around and see what goes on there. And we get there, and everyone's already there. Everyone's already there, and they're singing. So then I'm thinking, I'm late. So we go rushing in, you know, thinking we're early. I rush, we rush in. I look at the usher. I go, hey, are we late? And he goes, no, you know, right. You know, it's like, okay, you know. And uh, <laughs> so we go, we sit down, and they're singing these songs, and then they take a break. And then, okay, what's going on? I mean, my Chinese is okay, but I don't understand half things are going on. And then, uh, then they start singing again. And, uh, and it's the same songs they had just sung. And then their whole service goes through. And I thought, I, I, I figured it out later. Their whole congregation comes early to practice the songs they're going to sing to God so that when service starts, they're ready to give him their best. And how different is that from us who come as late as we can, you know, unprepared, not ready, it's just a different culture. We, we can say, well, that's, that's Chinese. You guys always do everything better. But it's not. <laughs> Kidding. No, it, you know, it's not. It's, it, it shouldn't be, anyways, a cultural thing. But I, I think of that when I think about this passage, when it says that, you know what? My name's going to be feared by all these nations. These people really will fear me. All around the world, people really will give me their best. And that's where I go, okay, I want to be one of those. I want Cornerstone to be one of those places that God points to as they're giving me their best. They come with their best. You see, and if we don't, here's why we, we can't afford not to, we can't afford to blow this. Because look at what he says in Malachi chapter 2. I mean, there's so many. You've got to read. Did I already tell the service? You've got to read this book. Okay? I mean, it's going to take you 10 minutes. Okay, read it this week. Because there's so many things I want to point out. But Malachi 2, verse 1, he says, And now this admonition is for you, O priest. If you do not listen, and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I'll send a curse on you, and I'll curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the offal from your festival sacrifices, and you'll be carried off with it. Do you know what that means? You guys, God says, you know, if you don't repent, I'm going to curse you. In fact, I've already cursed you, and I'm not blessing you. And he says, and if you don't change, he says, I'm going to take the offal from your sacrifices and spread it on your face, and you'll be carried out with it. The offal. The offals, you see, there was, when they would sacrifice an animal, there were certain parts, the Old Testament law says you don't sacrifice. You, it's unclean. It's not to be part of the sacrifice. It's the intestines. It's the inner parts. And, and it was the dung that was left behind. 
Okay, and, and, and you mix that with all of the ashes. What they would do at the end of the day after the sacrifices, is they would take the ashes, all of the manure that was left, and all of the, uh, the intestines, and they would carry it all outside of the city gates, throw it out there to be burned because it was unclean. And what God says to these priests is, if you guys don't change the way you worship, I'm going to take all of that manure and the intestines and the ashes, and I'm going to spread it, I'm going to shove it in your face, and then I'm going to take you outside the city gates and burn you with it. This is God. You guys, we live in a world and in a time when we don't, we don't think of God as this holy, powerful God. We see him as this little weak God that we kind of boss around and say, hey, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? And we question. And God says, no, no, no. I question you and you answer me. And you worship me the way I ask to be worshipped. You don't do it. I'll take that, that crap, that, those intestines, and shove it in your face and toss you outside the gates and burn you with it. That's the God I worship. And you guys, we cannot lose that reverence for God. Okay. He says he doesn't change. Don't, don't think, well, it's New Testament times now. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a great God and deserves my best and deserves yours. And he demands it. And he says, I'm not going to take anything less. If you don't want to worship, go ahead, leave. Because other people will. All around the world, they will. And you guys, and I, I want you to understand something. This is not like God just, just being harsh just for the sake of being harsh. He wants us to repent and turn to him. I mean, the most beautiful thing is, is if you turn to the next chapter, chapter 3, I mean, just shows you his heart. In, uh, in, in chapter 3, verse 6, like, it says, like I said earlier, Malachi 3, 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Okay? So make sure you understand that. The same God back then is the same God we worship today. He doesn't change. And he says... So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings? You're under a curse the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Then look what he says. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room enough for it. Why did God want these people to return to him? So he could bless them. Why is God saying these things? And in a sense, yeah, he's scaring these people. Saying, look at who I am. Come back to me. Return. Why did he want to do that? Because he wanted to bless them. He wanted these people to be blessed. He doesn't want us to be cursed people and live miserable lives. That's not why God created us. He says, come back to me. And the people say, okay, God, okay, I hear you. I want to come back to you. How do I come back to you? And God says, well, first of all, stop robbing me. Stop ripping me off. And they're going, wait a second. We did not steal anything. How are we robbing God? And God says, well, you're not giving me the full 10%, for one. You're giving me these, these lame, crippled animals, these diseased things. You throw it up there. You're giving me half of, half of what I deserve. He goes, why don't you try giving me what I deserve? 
Why don't you bring the whole tithe in the storehouse and see what I do for your life? See if I don't just throw open the floodgates of heaven and blow your mind and bless you so much. And this isn't necessarily he's going to make you rich because that's not, that's not where joy comes from anyways. He says, but just try me. Try me. Try to bring the whole 10% and see if you don't have more than you can, you, you can even handle. Guys, if there's one thing I've learned over these last 10 years of ministering here at Cornerstone, from the start of this church to this day, is that, man, God just, he wants to bless me. He, he loves me. He's crazy about me. And I don't know that I totally understood that when I started. I've shared that before. I didn't understand that love and that relationship with God. I understood the fear part. I understood the reverence. But I didn't understand how badly he just wanted to bless me. So you see, the thing is, is what I've learned is when I give him everything, not, I don't toss him the bone, but when I give him that whole piece of chicken, this is what I've learned. He takes it and gives me back a whole bucket full. <laughs> you know, he just gives it all. When we give him our best, he's saying, you know, all I want you to do is just to test me. Show me that you have faith in me. Show me that you believe in me and watch what I do for you. Give me your best and see what I give you. God's not going to be outgiven. You know, I found something. When I give God my first, you know, you know how you keep from giving leftovers? Give him first. Give God first. That means wake up in the morning, give him your first hour. So you don't come to the end of the day and say, ooh, I spent all my time. No, give him the first. Wake up early. Wake up an hour earlier. Take a shower. Do some push-ups. Run around the block. Get wide awake. And then just say, God, here's the best, most alert time of the day for me right now. And it's yours. I love you. I'm crazy about you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for another day of life. Get into word. Learn some more of his commands. And just give that to him. You know what happens when you give him first? You'll have plenty of time the rest of the day to do what needs to be done. That's one of the things I've learned. Another thing I've learned about giving is, you know, first, first thing I do with every check is I give the first 20% back to God. I say, God, this is yours. It's all yours. And then you know what happens? I get blessed beyond belief. I've never been in need. Man, I look at people that make 10 times what I make, and they're miserable. They never have enough. I look at my life and say, this is such a joke. I mean, it really is to the point where there's times I'm laughing and going, God, quit it. I do. I just go, this is ridiculous. You're spoiling me. I could tell you story after story. Where I, say, I mean, just even next week, you know, I, you know, I'm asked to speak at this conference in Hawaii. You know, and then they call back and say, you know, is it okay if we fly your family along? All right. <laughs> you know, I, I, you guys might, I tell you, life is a, it's ridiculous. I, I tell my friends all the time, I, I feel like I'm in a fairy tale, you know, something you read out of a book. Because this relationship with God, everything is so incredible. He is so amazing. That's all he's ever wanted from me. He just wants to show off how much he loves me. But it starts with us and giving him our best.